Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. Today, we're talking about aging life care with some of the leadership team of the Aging Life Care Association Mid-Atlantic Chapter. You're going to learn how these professionals provide holistic, client-centered approach to caring for older adults and others. So let's jump into this engaging discussion. New guests to the stage today, and that is Rebecca Roski Brunner and Heather Surrey, who are both members and part of the leadership team of the Aging Life Care Mid-Atlantic uh, chapter. And uh, welcome, both of you. We're very excited to have Aging Life Care as our topic today. Thanks, Steve. And, and this, is, this is rather strategic because um, the Mid-Atlantic uh, um, conference is coming up in November, which we're going to talk a little bit about, as well as we're putting together the, um, the membership directory that um, providers can participate in as well. But uh, we figured this is a great way to get the word out about this great profession and some of the exciting things that the chapter has coming up. But uh, before we dive into this, let's get to know the two of you a little bit better. Um, Heather, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to become an aging life care manager. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Um, I'm Heather Surrey. I am an aging life care manager and I own a practice called Pathways in Aging. And we we serve uh, Northern Virginia and also the greater Seattle area. We've got an office out west now too. Um, I am also the Mid-Atlantic chapter president for Aging Life Care Association. Uh, I'm a nurse by training. I've been a nurse almost 25 years and I became an aging life care manager because I cannot stay in my lane. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to that in terms of how we come to this profession. I think in, in almost every nursing role I ever had, um, I saw all of these needs that were happening that were outside of the um, kind of the definition of my specific job duties. And I got to the place where I just really wanted to work with individuals and families much more holistically. And that's when I started my practice. What about you, Rebecca? That's great. Yeah, Rebecca. And I, and I have to compliment Rebecca. Believe it or not, that is not a virtual background that we're seeing. She is <laughs> actually outside. And, and, and when I was like, oh, hey, cool virtual background. And she goes, no, I'm outside. I go, this is incredible. The lighting, the, the sound is perfect. And you're outside. Thanks. <laughs> I did it all <laughs> myself, I guess. <laughs> Um, so a little bit about me, Rebecca Roski Bruner. Uh, I work at Complete Care Strategies. I am currently the executive director. We are based in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, which is about half hour outside of Philadelphia. And we service all the counties around Philadelphia, South Jersey, and Northern Delaware. <clears throat> I was have been a nurse for about 23 years. I worked in the emergency room for most of my nursing career. And then about six years ago, I decided that I wanted to move more into care management. I saw a lot of needs uh, with the aging population in the emergency room, people not having family members going into the ER with them or not having any family whatsoever and nobody checking in on, you know, the 
my clients in the ER. So this is a passion for me. I love what I do. And um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the wave of the future because people need other people to help them. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I, I've been in this business now for 32 years and, you know, grew up with the geriatric care manager, which is transitioned to the aging life care manager, much more uh, um, age centric uh, um, language there. And um, it was, it's been the wave of the, the future back then. It's the wave of the future back now and in the immediate horizon uh it's it's only getting better in terms of supporting uh families and individuals so i i know we all take for granted in the profession we we know what rock stars you all are but i know that there are people on this discussion today or listening to it later that don't really understand what an aging life care manager is so let's dive into that for the first part and then I'm really excited to give everybody a preview of uh, one of the, the keynote that you're gonna have at your conference here. And I'd like to talk about that as well. Okay, sounds like a plan, Steve. Uh, well, one kind of a, a bullet on aging life care management. Um, so we are nationally, there's, um, there's a couple of thousands of a thousand of us who are members of the Aging Life Care Association. Because we come from different professional backgrounds, about roughly half of us are nurses, half of us are social workers, and then we're seeing a lot of other people come into the work who have different health and human services backgrounds. But we don't have a unifying regulatory body like nurses do or like social workers do. So the Aging Life Care Association does that for us um, in a sense. It, it provides standards of practice that we adhere to, a code of ethics, um, and a process for consumers um, to report concerns. So I think that's a really important thing for, um, for folks to know that, that membership in the Aging Life Care Association is, is really what you want to look for when you are um, looking at your options and, and vetting care managers. Um, Rebecca, you want to tell them a little bit about the scope of, of what we do? Sure. Um, so as aging life care managers, we generally start with getting to know a client, so an assessment, and then we can really delve into all the different facets of helping someone, um, their medical history, help, you know, if they have any medical needs or I have to go to doctor's appointments, things like that. We can help them at home if they want to age in place or if they want to transition to a community, be it a dementia you know, unit, if that's a need, or assisted living or even independent living so that they have it and they can move up if they need to. Uh, we hire people to come in the home or help families hire people to come in the home to do housekeeping or home care. We do everything. We work with financial advisors and lawyers and estate planners so that we can make sure that the whole client is intact and that all of that they are protected on all sides. So lots of different working with families, working with entitlement programs. Um, yeah. The Aging Life Care Association has a great graphic that shows kind of the eight bodies of knowledge that we have competency in um, that really is uh, holistic and looks a little bit different for every family, which is part of the fun. It's, it's very person-centered um, 
creative work. Yeah, and and to that, I'm on the um, the the national chapter website, which I I put into chat for everybody. But let's um here. Let me see if I can increase this a little bit so we can see that that image here a little bit better. But um uh those those um eight areas are legal, uh, crisis intervention health and disability, financial, housing, family, local resources, and advocacy. And um, having been around so many aging life care managers, I can say that I've, I've, I've heard stories from clients and care managers on every one of these eight um, elements. I would say one of the things that I always like to share when I explain what an aging life care manager is, I say, I always give the example, which I probably, this happens to me once a week, where I get, a, I get somebody who schedules a, a time on my calendar, which I'm open to all of y'all, anytime you want, you just schedule time with me. I love brainstorming. And the challenge is, it's a brother and sister, and they're trying to figure out what's best for mom. Okay. And a lot of times I tell folks this, a lot of times it's not necessarily what's best for mom. It's what's best for them. You know, when they're sharing their opinions and usually I cut them off before they tell me the whole story. And I say, look, let me explain to you about this profession because (laughs) it's really important that you get an objective um, guide to help you map out a plan that's not in your best interest, but hopefully it will be, but it's in mom or dad's best interest. Um, Do you find that that's uh, a a common type of case that that your practices get? Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, I think what I, well, just what you were saying that, that some, and sometimes the kids Adult children uh, see the needs before the older adult sees the needs. And then it kind of becomes a a discussion of of understanding that a lot of times older adults have a very different personal calculation of risk than their adult kids. They have lived longer than us. They have survived things. um, And, you know, we really have to help families understand that there's this balance between what is safe um, and what um, is really a, a appropriate for someone exercising their, their personal autonomy um, and, and trying to get everybody comfortable. Um, you know, I think that one of one of uh, the tricks, and I'm sure this is not just my trick, this is everybody's trick, but when you're we're working with an older adult who is resistant to change or resistant to care management. Um, You know, we get in there and you build the relationship and you figure out what's important to them. And maybe in the scope of things, it's not a priority problem, but if we can figure out how to give them a win, um, how to solve a pain point that, that they feel like is important, sometimes it helps get our foot in the door and then we can tackle some of the bigger issues. That's great. And, you know, for, for years, we have been talking about ways that we can get people to plan in advance. I know, I know one of the eight things on your wheel is crisis intervention. And, and I would say that, you know, 90% of the people that get this guide and reach out to those 
professionals in the audience, it's a crisis situation. You know, I'm going on life, living my life, and then I have a fall, I'm in the hospital. It's like, whoa, I need all this stuff now, you know. Um, but one phenomena that's been out there that we, it's our most popular discussion topic here is solo aging, is that, and it's not just people who are solo agers now, it's folks starting to think about, hey, you know, it's really probable that me and my spouse are not going to pass away on the same day at the same time, that one of us is going to be by ourselves. Let's start getting a plan in place for that. And, and I can't tell you how thrilled it is to, to, to hear folks starting to reach out to care managers to help map out a solo aging plan or just have you all in, in backup. Are you seeing trends in that area? I think with the boomer population as they're growing, they are definitely more savvy and they are reaching out um, earlier than their predecessors did. So yes, we have been seeing, you know, the solo ager population has been retaining us a little bit early just so we know them. So when a crisis does happen in the future that they can just call us up and say, hey, you know, I need whatever. I had one client that, you know, she, she had no needs. She lives on her own. She's, you know, capable of doing everything on her own, but a tree fell and blocked her street. She couldn't get her car out. They weren't going to be able to repair it. It was an ice storm for like five days. She didn't know how to call an Uber. So I called her an Uber. You know, it's just even little things like that. Any, anywhere we can assist, we, we try to. I, I love it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad you had an example like that because I think, um, so many of the things that we need as we navigate through the chapters of life, they're not necessarily health related. They're, they're how do you, uh, how do I change the light bulb in my ceiling? I don't want to get up on that chair. Who do I call? And it well, might be bizarre, not? but an aging life care manager is, if you've got somebody who's advocating for you, it's sort of like, hey, who would I call to do this or, or what have you? And, um, um, so it's not all sort of health and uh, wellness related. It's just lifestyle related. It's life related. And, you know, I always say that I think, you know, one of the most important roles, probably our first most important role is that of advocate, but the close second is team builder. Um, you know, it is our job to know all of the resources in the community, the, you know, the, the big programs and those individuals who do that super specific stuff that we know are vetted, we know are trustworthy, um, and, you know, can really put together um, this team where all of the parts connect because care for older adults um, services in general tend to be pretty fragmented. Um, and so we need to kind of weave this plan together. And then our job is to just make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. And if we put the people in place that are the best at their jobs, then, um, you know, then, then it's, it's humming along, it's doing our thing. And then we step in if something else is needed. But now, that's uh, one of the things I love the most is you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up I, I'm gr glad you brought up team and and I'm going to throw this out early here. We're only we're only 25 minutes into the hour, but I'm going to throw up cost. OK, because I, I know we're going to talk about it sooner or later. Might as well get it out of the way. But 
the cost of care management, the cost of what have you. But on a regular basis, I'm getting calls from folks and they're sort of like, oh, mom and dad are on a fixed income or dad's got a budget or whatever. How do I navigate this expensive care, uh, elder care world? Everything's so expensive. And I often counsel folks and I say, look, it's just kind of like taking care of your kids, remember? I mean, you didn't pay for a babysitter all the time. You had friends, family, you you tapped into the network. And um, elder care can be similar. And um, so when you all are managing a team, the team could be your staff, it could be outside organizations, but then it could be mom and dad's family and network and the care, the care manager is sort of the quarterback. Um, do you, is that uh, f a fair representation? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a fair representation. When I talk to clients all the time, I say we're more of the, we are the quarterback of care or the professional family member. We help put everything into place and then we keep the family updated and the other services updated about what needs are changing or what needs to be done going forward. Oh. And I think, you know, those cases where, where um, you know, the, that cost sensitivity is, is present, and, and we are seeing more and more of that because the, the costs of care, whether it's home care, whether it's senior living, um, you know, we've got a huge labor shortage that we're dealing with. Costs are going up. Gas prices are high. All of these things, we're seeing costs going up. And the people who are kind of in the middle, who aren't eligible for Medicaid services and, and things like that, are, are the ones that sometimes are really struggling. So it's our job as care managers to really kind of get creative. And, and sometimes it's um, you know, it's it's tapping into the different um, nonprofit organizations. Every community has, you know, um, organizations that offer again sometimes really specific things. So sometimes we can weave those things together. Shepherd Center comes to mind for me in terms of, of you know, uh, medical transportation. So sometimes it's it's working with um, multiple different organizations to make it work. Another thing is coaching family members on how to ask for help. I think especially through the pandemic, you know, we've been so used to our social isolation that nobody's talked to their neighbors and everybody stopped going to church. And a lot of those social networks um, kind of fell apart. So it's helping caregivers, um, you know, family caregivers, lay caregivers, um, you know, know how to be specific and asking what they need, um, you know, helping to, um, give them some some language and you know reaching out a lot of times you know that support is there it's just hard to figure out how to access it i love it and um uh, i'm gonna uh, it looks like we've got sonia and steven have their hands raised sometimes people do that by mistake but sonia and steven if you've got a question unmute yourself and and feel free to ask uh your question um and while I'm, I'm waiting for that, like I said, I opened the door to cost. How do people pay for aging life care managers? And do you, do you know sort of a, uh, a price range guideline? I know every practice is a little bit different. We've got some nonprofit government practices as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I can, can't speak to everywhere. I'm most familiar with the Northern Virginia market, but you know, I've seen, um, 
prices around, you know, 150 to maybe 225 an hour for care management. Um, there are some other, um, you know, every practice is a little bit different. So there's some flat fee offerings that they have. Um, you know, I, I offer a virtual consult that's a one hour, one off, maybe you'll never see me again, but it's great for like a DIY for people who aren't going to do ongoing care management because it's not affordable, but just need to know, you know, what are the priorities? How do I get done what I need to get done? So a lot of us are coming up with um, ways to really help those people in the middle. Um, we also see some nonprofit organizations sometimes um, offering some additional assistance. Um, Senior Living Foundation of the American Foreign Service here in, in Northern Virginia. Many of us know about that one. Um, so for retired Foreign Service officers or uh, the aging parents of active Foreign Service, there's some things available. Um, the, the EAPs, you know, are offering some. I mean, what, what else, Rebecca? What else we got out there? They, you know, like the Catholic Charities and then the Jewish Family Services also have different programs. So there are a lot of programs out there and you know i'm hoping that there'll be more in the future seabury yeah, so, we've got seabury in dc yeah, yeah and elder link with fairfax county but the um but you know um when whenever we bring up price with aging life care and and elder law and people hear this hourly rate it's like whoa you know every single one of the if if when you're reaching out to an elder law attorney or aging life care manager if you let them know that, hey, look, I'm 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 paying for this out of my pocket for my mom. I'm on a budget. The the way that that the care managers and the providers work within your budget is, hey, look, I'm just going to coach you. Okay, okay. Um, this is not going to be, you, you know, and let's see how that works. And that's one thing I want to bring up because I had a conversation the other day with a um, um, some siblings who many years ago had tried an aging life care manager with one of their parents and the parent resisted it. And as I was brainstorming with them, I said, you know, um, I don't think it's time to introduce another aging life care manager to your mom. You can work with the aging life care manager as your coach. And then when it's appropriate, then perhaps the aging life care manager is introduced to mom. Do you do you see that? Yeah, as a lot I of mean, sometimes it's just the families who really need the assistance to help their mom or dad or whoever it may be, you know, figure out the different resources they need or what are our next steps. So we definitely can do family coaching and things like that. Or a family will have a budget and, you know, and we'll say, okay, you know, um, so if, if, you know, you're kind of thinking three hours is kind of what you got, then let's figure out what are the things that, that are really going to bring the most value for me to do. Um, and let's prioritize and what things, you know, how we can work it out. I mean, we, you know, um, I know so many of my colleagues, you know, we, we want to meet people where they are and work things out. I think the other thing to throw out there, and, and Rebecca, I think you would agree, um, is that, you know, yes, sometimes that hourly rate can seem high, um, but we bring so much value and we end up saving people a lot of money um, 
by making the right choices the first time. Um, I can think, you know, just like real quick, a quick story. I, I um, had a family that came to me after uh, they had moved mom into an assisted living, a fantastic assisted living, not the right one for her. Um, and within four days, they required them to bring in 24-7 private duty care. So they're paying assisted living. They've got private duty care on top of it. She's bleeding money like crazy. Um, what she needed was a really tight um, caregiver to resident ratio. I moved them in probably within about 10 days into a um, residential license assisted living and eight bed assisted living with excellent care, um, saving them roughly $22,000 a month. Um, I moved them in, the care was so good, they didn't need me anymore. They only had my services for two months and you know my fees were captured in that savings just you know fractionally That's so you know it, it really can um yeah. make a big difference and sometimes the clients just need us to help them get onto medicaid and get their entitlements and help fill out all those forms because those forms get complicated especially if you aren't computer savvy because most of it's on the computer and and apply for the different waiver programs and get those entitlements so it is once they have all of those things in place and they don't necessarily need us anymore. And that's fine. You know, we, right. I, I always say to my clients, you know, my goal is for you not to need me in the future. <laughs> but, you know, that's what it's I- It's a questionable know. business model, but that's how most of us operate. Yeah. yeah, no, this is great. Okay, we've got some questions, but I, de I definitely want to talk about this conference. But before we do, I see a few questions on how do I find a care manager? So I want to share with you all a few websites that you can jump on and find care managers. First, of course, since I'm running this, I gotta give a plug to uh, my website. And uh, you can see, you just click resources, care management, and then you hit search. But the source for all care managers in the nation, no matter where you are, is aginglifecare.org. And up at the top of the screen, you click this find an uh, aging life care expert. And then you've got this robust search here. I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. Um, I also want to spotlight the Mid-Atlantic chapter, which is midatlanticalca.org. And again, you can learn about the chapter and you can, you can do a search there. But let's go back here because there are some different levels of care managers. And I believe there's... Uh, uh, a certified sort of uh, another certifying body. But right here on the website, we've got advanced professional, professional and associate. Um, can you share with me a little bit about those different levels of certification? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really, it, it has to do with, you know, when you when you apply for membership, um, they're looking at your education, um, you know, um, where what type of education you have and what level of education you have. And they're also looking at your professional care management experience. Um, you know, the um, so for most part, a lot of people come in at that associate level. And then once you have a couple of years of care management experience, um, you know, you rise to that professional level. The advanced professional level are those of us who have um, gone forward with becoming credentialed in this field. And there are some different paths to, to credentialing, but I think that, um, you know, it really does 
demonstrate a, a commitment to our craft. It's it's a you know um, a national certifying examination that you have to prepare for. Um, you know I'm certified through NACM. You know it's offered twice a year. It's a little bit of a nail biter. It's not easy to get. So I think that you know um, um, it's it's a, a great way to really identify who is very experienced, who has really committed. Um, to this profession. Um, and then we'll see too those, you know, um, other members kind of coming up through they're, they're building their experience. Um, sometimes kind of back to the price sensitivity piece, sometimes some of our folks who are just starting out in the profession, you got to start out someplace, sometimes the hourly rate can be a little more competitive. So if that's something that is, you know, a barrier for you to accessing care, um, they're still going to be able to, um, to help you and that that might be a way to look at cost as well. Excellent. Um, and we're getting some, I, I knew some questions were going to be rolling in here. So um, first I want to address one of the questions, well, let's do a couple and then I want to, let's talk about the conference. Actually, let's talk about the conference and the speaker, and then we'll get back to the questions, folks. Um, so uh, Rebecca, you are the conference chair for the, uh, this year's conference. And uh, I am gonna pull up the, the page on your website about that, but tell us a little bit about this conference and, and what one can expect and how uh, providers can participate. Sure, yes. Uh, the conference is on our Aging Life Care Association webpage where you can register and everything like that. The conference has been in the works since 2019, I started planning and then obviously the pandemic. So we halted and then 2021, they wanted to do virtual and I'm not a, you know, I didn't want to do a virtual conference. I wanted it to be in person because we have Eloy Van Hall is our keynote speaker and Eloy um, is one of the founders of Hokovic or the Dementia Village in the Netherlands, which is a very unique community for people living with dementia. Um, they have stores, they have movie theaters. Everyone that's in the community is either working there or living there. There's, it's just such a unique way now. The Netherlands does have socialized medicine. So it is a different way of paying for, you know, medical care and things like that. But I think having the freedom of being able to walk around and come out of your apartment and walk around outside and go to the store and all of those things is a great idea for our future in the US. Um, you know, most of our dementia communities right now are locked units um, or, you know, enclosed into a building. And this is more of a town uh, where you can participate in lots of different things. There's a, cent a town center that has music and they have fountains and multiple different things. So Eloy uh, is flying over to do our conference, which is very exciting. And then we also have uh, four other great speakers. We have an art therapist who works with dementia clients or those with cognitive decline. Um, we have a functional medicine doctor. We have somebody gonna be talking about technology and aging, and also somebody talking about um, LGBTQ plus in aging. So it's going to be an amazing conference. I'm really looking forward to it. And then we'll have lots of uh, different, you know, vendors uh, and everything else. 
Well, I tell you, I I have never heard of the um, the uh, the pioneer from the Netherlands coming here to speak in the U.S. So, for all providers that are out there, this is a rare opportunity. Um, whether you're an aging life care manager or not, but it's also can sort of kill two birds with one stone, network with a bunch of aging life care managers and hear this amazing keynote uh, presentation. And I drop the link uh, to that village in chat. If you're not familiar with it, check it out. I think it's, uh, it. you talk about the future of, um, of helping with memory care. I hope that's what it looks like because to me, it's just a brilliant design. And what's so cool is that, you know, Eloy is such a visionary um, and, and we have lots of visionaries, you know, here in the U.S. too, but but to see it be come to fruition and be successful, um, this has been around some time. It isn't yeah. it isn't a new concept where it is there. So seeing that journey and and where they have been since founding, um, Eloy does not come to the U.S all that often. Um, Rebecca hustled hard to get this speaker. It was a couple of years worth of endeavor. Uh, and so it really is an amazing opportunity to, um, you know, to, to see him speak. And I think, you know, hanging out with aging life care managers for the rest of the day is the, the icing on the cake for sure. I love yeah. it. All right. Well, good. Let's let's get back to some of these questions here, and um, uh, I'll make sure to send links to all that. But okay. So Robert says, for veterans enrolled in VA healthcare, do private sector care managers coordinate with the Veterans Health Administration, social workers, or VA contract providers? Yes, we work. When we work with our clients, we are working with everyone and anyone who they can come in contact with. Uh, we can work with the VA, we can work with all the social workers, we work with case managers that are in the hospital. If they're in the hospital, we work with, you know, anyone that comes into contact with that client that we can help. Process. And helping, yeah, get those benefits. Sometimes families mm -hmm. just get really overwhelmed. It can be convoluted how to access veterans benefits, how to understand them. Um, so, you know, our teams, care managers, I, I don't know any care manager who doesn't help with that. And if it's something that is more complex or um, more time consuming becomes too expensive for us to manage every part of it, again, we're back to the team building. We're going to get you connected with a local nonprofit organization organization, or sometimes, um, you know, the um, assistance at the state level can for veterans um, affairs can be a little bit more accessible. Um, you know, other things we do here in Northern Virginia, a lot of us will kind of get our um, VA people help out of Martinsburg, West Virginia, because it is just so much more accessible than going to the DC office, just in, also in terms of their sometimes their process as an organization. So uh, yes, the answer is yes, we can help. Great. And um, earlier in the conversation, we dropped the acronym EAP, which stands for Employee Assistance Program. And, and one thing that, uh, that if you think your organization or your parents' organization, they may be a retiree and they can still take advantage of EAP benefits, by all means, check with HR, check with EAP, 
because over the years, I've known a lot of you to have arrangements with EAPs where a company is paying your fee for their employees. Is that correct? It is. Um, and it's it's usually not competitive, but I still try to, to do those when I can, because again, it's in alignment with a lot of our mission to, to do what we can for the folks who, um, who maybe couldn't access us um, any other way. A lot of times with the EAP, it's a um, kind of a structured assessment and recommendation, um, but it is in person. Um, and that makes a big difference. And then we're able just to go spend that time, do that assessment and just shower people with as many recommendations as we can. Um, just, it makes a, a tremendous difference. And these plans now, especially for kind of sandwich generation people, um, most major employers have this benefit now because it's it's um, us kind of Gen Xers, especially that um, that need it uh, because we've got aging parents and we've got um, younger kids and we're, you know, we're pulled in a lot of directions. So those those plans are there. It's it's worth asking yeah. about. Yeah, so de definitely it's a great resource uh, th that's out there through our, our employers. So, um, um, and you might get lucky. Uh, okay, so now we've got one related to a question related to Medicaid and to rates. It's, um, uh, can, it, thanks for saying you can help apply for Medicaid. Can care managers also help process long-term care insurance claims? And I'm, I'm glad that question came up because Sometimes a long-term care insurance policy will actually pay for your fee, correct? They, I've had success with this. I have you, Rebecca. Sometimes it's a little bit regional. Um, well, not regional, but just um, kind of knowing that if this comes up on our listserv a lot, though, with uh, with care managers saying, "How do you get reimbursed as a care manager?" Um, we generally we have a small home care component for us, so we process the claims for the long term care insurance with our home care. We have not had success with processing it for care management. So I have had a lot of success and I am all about helping other care managers get successful with doing this because it's an untapped resource. Um, so, you know, the benefit varies widely. Um, most people don't even remember that they have it because they're focused on, you know, either the home care or the assisted living piece. So it's really important um, to have your care manager really review that benefits page so we can squeeze as much out of them as possible. Um, a lot of times the companies want to have um, an LCSW or a gerontologist on staff. Sometimes that can be a requirement or a barrier. Other times, you know, we're, we're starting to see some changes in, in what they're asking, but it's usually a copy of your business license, you fill out their form, and then we can submit those paid um, invoices to try to get people reimbursed. Um, we help people with paperwork all the time for long-term care, faxing it whatever seven billion times until you know they actually say that they got it. Um, um, you know, kind of following that part through. Um, I did want to just come back and touch on the Medicaid piece. Um, there are some care managers. Um, 
I, I have a care manager colleague who's a president in New Jersey, um, and his practice is almost exclusively helping people get on Medicaid. That's almost all he does. There are other care managers that, um, that are not comfortable helping complete those applications. So, you know, with care managers, it's always a great idea. One, get a hold of the president of the area that you're in, because we kind of know what everybody's great at, and we can get you connected um, with somebody who's great at what they what they do. Um, also, it's great to talk to two or three care managers. Call us, interview us, find the one that feels like the right fit for you. That's going to be able to meet your unique needs because we're all a little different. Mm -hmm. And and I'm uh, I'm glad you you threw that out because the the next question is I see paying a good hourly rate for initial consultations but filling out forms to get proper benefits should be a lower rate per hour. I could probably argue that you might even flip that around because sometimes filling out the forms is uh, more difficult in knowing that process. But do, do companies have different rates for, you know, this is our rate for the initial consultation, this is a paperwork rate, a faxing rate, what have you? I mean, I think most companies have I can only speak for mine because I don't know how other people's rates are, but we have initial consultation and our assessment fees, and then we have an hourly rate. We don't have, differentiate other than those two things. Yeah. We, I have an office manager um, and I, uh, bill, I do bill her time for certain things, but at a much lower rate than my time. Um, so, you know, for us um, now, before I had enough growth to support an office manager, um, I was doing a lot of that stuff myself. I don't have time for that anymore. Um, and it's great. I, I, I love doing this kind of stuff instead of filling out John Hancock forms. So, um, so I have an office manager that, that does that. But th these are the kind of questions you wanna ask when you're working with a care manager um, because it, it may be something that's important to you or it might not, um, but it's just one data point. And we all, um, again, we, we all structure our practices uh, a little bit differently. And, and then, sometimes um, you're, oh, I'm sorry, Steve. Sometimes when you're filling out the forms, we know exactly what to say so that you can get the benefits and things like that. So we're not just filling them out like you would a regular application. There's different ways that you have to present something in order to be eligible for things. And that's really an important point, Rebecca, because long-term care insurance companies, um, you know, if if there is one T uncrossed, it, everything shuts down. Like they, there's a lot of can be a lot of barriers to getting people reimbursed. So getting it right the first time gets you your money sooner. That's and and this probably ties into Diane's comment where she says, how does a long-term care insurance policy work if they don't need help with activities of daily living? So there's probably in some of these contract in some of these long-term care insurance contracts, it's like it requires support for specific things and knowing how to fill that out and yeah. get reimbursed is really key because a lot of the things that care managers do for a client might not necessarily be the elements that are reimbursable on the uh, the, the right two separate kind of categories of reimbursements not all long-term care policies have a care management um, um, benefit some do. 
Um, and I've seen it between 500 and 2000 a year is based, you know, that that's kind of the range that I've seen covered. When it comes to triggering long-term care, like eligibility for, for accessing that policy, usually um, it's one of two triggers. Either there is cognition that is impaired enough to need a certain level of supervision. So maybe you don't need help with personal care, but if your cognition is impaired enough that you need supervision, that might trigger eligibility. Or usually the other one is needing help in two or more ADLs. Um, now, how you personally might define needing help and how we know the industry defines needing help um, might be two different things. So that's why it's good to, to ask an expert. Oh, that's great. Um, okay, I think uh, I think I got through most of these questions and comments. The uh, one thing that I would say to everybody in the audience, for example, Sonia is saying, um, I'm I'm trying to network to gain resources on our aging population to meet social determinants of health in the Baltimore area. If you're, you know interact with the folks that are are throwing out comments like that make sure to just take a uh take a glance at chat and like i said i'm gonna also bring this um this will be go along with the recording which will be posted uh later this afternoon there's some good uh connections to be had in there in 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 chat um okay so the uh a couple of things anybody can attend the conference. So you don't need to be an aging life care manager to attend the conference. You can attend the conference. There's, I believe there's maybe one sponsorship slot available, but but there's more, there's exhibitor space still available, correct, Rebecca? There is, yes, there is some exhibitor space available. Yep. And then and we're at the Bellevue in downtown Philadelphia, a beautiful historic hotel. Um, and the way that it is, um, um, you know, our, our kind of because we're, we're in the ballroom, right, yeah, for, for our speakers. It's gorgeous yeah. um but there's uh we actually have a lot of room for vendors we have more room for vendors than we have in in past venues so whereas in 2019 um we really um had to stop taking um applications we just we ran out of room we, we do have they figured out a way to arrange things to add some additional slots um we haven't seen any of our partners in person in a couple of years you know this is really we're supposed to have a conference every other year now it's been three um, so we really would love for you to come and join us um, you know you know how it is trying to get appointments with us it is not easy because we're always working the only thing care managers take time off for is to go to this conference so it's you know a great time to um to really be able to to spend a little time um you know having a little bit more substantive conversation than than we can sometimes uh just on these virtual networking types of venues yeah so so as providers out there you can attend you can sponsor you can exhibit the the cool thing is we're doing a an, another membership directory for you all and as we've done in the past and if you're an exhibitor or sponsor you get a free ad in that but if you can't make it and you want to be on the desk of every aging life care manager and we mail it to elder law attorneys and other providers as well 
Um, you can be on their desk year round. You can just take out a placement separately in that membership directory. I'll make sure to follow up with everybody on that if you're you're interested in that. So, and we want to meet new people. I mean, we've we've got great corporate partners under our Alka umbrella. They're always a first stop for us. Um, but we also, and and all of you who are on this call today, who you know, there's a lot of changing uh, change in the the aging services landscape. We're seeing a lot of consolidation. We're seeing a lot of innovation and new things coming up. Sometimes, you know, those of us who have been working with a certain partner or a certain company for years, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing changes. Maybe they got bought by somebody else and it's not quite the same as it was. Um, or we're seeing, um, I'll give the example of home care. This labor shortage is impacting everybody. So that means we really, you know, I have personally needed to kind of broaden, lengthen my shortlist <laughs> of, um, of who I call to, um, you know, really when we're looking for that needle in the haystack, we're looking for something really specific. So we're, um, we're really interested in, in meeting some new folks and we hope you'll join us. Well, this is exciting news. So, uh, well, I'm delighted that we had the opportunity to uh, celebrate your profession and uh, it's so important. And I, I um, thank our audience for these great questions today. Uh, it's, it's always fantastic. Um, any sort of closing words of wisdom? Uh, I, I think I just want to say a big thank you to Rebecca. This this conference um, is, you know, I'm just I am so excited about it. Um, um, you know, I I cannot wait to hear these speakers. It is I think one of the best conferences that we have ever done, and it has just it's been a labor of love. Rebecca's got super high energy. Um, you know, she has worked so hard to, um, you know, to bring these speakers, to make this work, to find the perfect venue, to uh, bring it all together. It's, it's a tremendous amount of work and it's, it's, we're all going to benefit from it. So thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you. It's yeah. going to be an amazing day. Um, and, I'm, you know, it's going to be good to, we're having that labor shortage, as you said, it's going to be interesting to hear what the technology is that's coming about, you know, like, are there going to be robots taking care of people in the future? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve, for having us. I really appreciate it. You bet, folks. All right. We'll see you, see you at the next discussion, and we'll see you up in Philadelphia. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you.